0: friends i'm olivia and i'm katie and we are podcast by proxy
1: welcome okay yeah we're good now
0: okay yikerumbas
1: why the technical difficulties lately i don't know my mic keeps oh, well. like not picking me up i don't know why Oh, yeah. For anyone out there who is also attending, we just got our CrimeCon tickets confirmation. Um, speaking of CrimeCon, I talked to
0: Ashley from Bloodbath, and she's going to deal with our hotel. So we're going to do a little sharesies, and I'm really excited about that.
1: Much excite. That's so fun yeah so we're gonna bring
0: i think they're gonna bring mics and we're gonna record we're gonna record like this is the first time i'm telling katie this i haven't even talked to you about this we're gonna record like probably our first collab
1: if we don't have one done by then yeah i mean i think it's safe that each duo brings a mic so we do our own personal work if there's anything we need to do but i love that idea yeah so that'll be so fun i'm really looking forward to Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, Bloodbath, let's do this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I love them, so. Same. All right, well, Katie has to go edit because we're a little bit behind. Our lives have been wild, so I don't even think we have anything to talk about before
1: we do this. Do you? No. Um no. I went on a trip to Tofino. My car battery died. It got fixed. Um oh. We had your I'm birthday I, party. We did. And we actually a really busy
0: week. You went it skydiving. Was... <gasps> like... Yes, I went skydiving. I was going to maybe post about that in a little bit because I haven't posted on our Instagram that I'm supposed to on Sunday. So it's Sunday. <sighs> um, yeah, I, I went skydiving and that was crazy. And Katie came and watched. Katie came and watched. So much fun. She was my photographer. But yes, we had a birthday party. I ate some poutine. Did the damn thing. Yeah.
1: We but did the damn thing. Today. We'll talk about that more in a maybe upcoming personal or Q&A episode where you guys can dig into our lives a little bit. But yes, sure. for today, what are you telling me? Uh, okay, so
0: today I was just scrolling through the internet, as I do, and I came across a case that uh, it happened back in 2015, and... Well, we'll get into it, but um, it involves a indigenous woman who died and spoiler alert. um, And there has been some question about how the investigation was handled. And so I just, uh, of course, ended up on my very
1: relevant.
0: Yeah, I ended up on a deep dive uh, as I do. And so here we are with, uh, you know, a lot of pages and we're going to talk about it. That's it. That's really, that's it. So, um, I don't know if anyone's seen me use the hashtag or I'm sure you've seen the hashtag, not just me use it or like refer to M M I W G on social media. So that stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls and it refers to a human rights crisis honestly in Canada and the United States that's only really become a topic of discussion within the media recently. Um, And it refers to Indigenous women, Indigenous women and communities, women's groups and international organizations have long called for action into the high and disproportionate rates of violence and numbers of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. According to the Native Women's Association of Canada, Indigenous women 15 years or older were three and a half times more likely to experience violence than non-Indigenous women. And between 1997 and 2000, the homicide rate for Indigenous women was uh, almost seven times higher than the rate for non-Indigenous women, which is crazy. In 2015, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada supported the call for a national public inquiry into the disproportionate victimization of Indigenous women and girls. Um, The national inquiry's final report was completed and presented to the public on June 3rd, 2019. The final report declared that the violence against indigenous women, girls, and 2SLGBTQQIA people is, quote, a national tragedy of epic proportion. Chief Commissioner Miriam Buller declared that, quote, the hard truth is that we live in a country whose laws and institutions perpetrate violations of fundamental rights amounting to a genocide against indigenous women, girls, and 2SLGBTQQIA, which stands for two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and asexual people.
1: Oh, I really like their... Uh, like, words they've chosen to represent every walk of life. I really like them.
0: Yeah, I thought that was very all-encompassing. So today we're going to talk about Nadine Machiskinick and she was a 29-year-old Indigenous female who was found barely clinging to life at the bottom of a laundry chute at the Delta Hotel at 4.11 a.m. on 1919 Saskatchewan Drive in Regina, Saskatchewan in January of 2015
1: okay that was yeah. a lot Jesus.
0: I know that was a really long that was a mouthful I, I
1: don't know why I well, wrote it such was a just long such sentence. a like powerful role you were on and then all of a sudden you got to the case deets and the, you just like mic dropped them there and I was like oh it was
0: a lot <laughs> so at the time she was found it was assumed that she had overdosed and she died in hospital hours later Um, so a coroner did her autopsy and they concluded that she actually fell down a 10 story laundry chute. Her death was ruled an accidental fall, but her family has always questioned how she fit through a 53 centimeter wide laundry chute, opening it on her own and why it took the police 60 hours to launch an investigation. So we are going to agree. We're going to get into that right now. Yeah, we are. All right. So, Nadine Kelly-Machiskanek, she was born on May 7th, 1985. She was a very much loved young mother of four children. However, Nadine did have her own struggles. Um, She lived what many considered to be a high-risk lifestyle. Dolores Stevenson is Nadine's aunt, who she was very, very close to, and Dolores has been the family spokesperson like throughout this entire thing since twenty fifteen. Like representative for them, yeah, and she's been a really fierce advocate for Nadine through all Aww. of this. Okay,
1: yeah.
0: so really Nadine, um, just because you know to present all of the information, she was known to be on the Saskatchewan methadone program. Okay, she. She was a known sex worker, um, but despite these struggles, there's a ton of evidence that she was extremely close to her family. She had tons of people who loved her. Um, her sister and her aunt both say that she loved her children very much. They were her number one priority, and she was always known. Like, she always showed up to family birthdays, to Christmases. Like, she didn't miss family events.
1: So, she knew what was important. Yeah. And she was a good family-oriented person, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, she just had struggles, Aww, which okay. I, we all do. And, you know, that doesn't mean somebody should get a less-than investigation or care about their life. No, so, not at all. Dolores said that Nadine's children were her number one priority, and I'm pretty sure that she's in custody of at least one of her children now, her aunt. Okay. Um, her aunt seemed a bit younger, like they looked to be closer in age, but she is her aunt. Okay. So um it's also noted that nadine was incredibly kind to people she was protective of the people around her um but her family does believe that it was her high-risk lifestyle that led her to the delta hotel in the early morning hours of january 10th 2015. okay okay so I'm let's you go back to january 10th 2015. so at f- okay a.m., a 911 call is placed from the Delta Hotel on Saskatchewan Drive in Regina, Saskatchewan. The call was made by the hotel's security manager, Ian Johnson, in which he describes an unconscious woman in the basement of the hotel at the bottom of a laundry chute, and he believed she had overdosed. Okay. He also mentions that somebody had pulled the 10th floor fire alarm earlier. And he suspected that it was the same person. Okay. So the caller says that the woman appeared to be passed out from quote some sort of drug and that there was two prescription pill bottles found near her body. The nine one one operator forwarded the call to ambulance services. Cause you know, when you call beep boop beep boop and they ask if you yeah. need they like ask, they they talk Do to you. Do you need nine one one
1: ambulance or fire? They forward
0: yeah. you to ambulance fire or police. So they forward Do you them need to police, medic or fire is usually what yeah. they
1: ask. I love the show Emergency Call. Shout out.
0: (laughs) Love it. So they forward the call to ambulance services, and the hotel employee reiterates to the ambulance operator that the woman was passed out. And you can – apparently on the call, I didn't listen to it, but there's an inquest um, in which they – there's, like, a transcript of the call. So apparently you could – you can hear somebody else speaking in the background of the call, and then the caller responds to that person and says, "Quote: If she came down the chute, she'd be dead." Oh, weird. Like, okay. Yeah. So this woman, of course, um, was Nadine, and she was taken to the hospital by paramedics and pronounced dead at Pasqua Hospital in Regina at 6:38 a.m.
1: Okay.
0: That's at this point, it seems but okay. Yes, very sad, but at this point it seemed that the hotel staff assumed that she had walked into the basement intoxicated and passed out, and it didn't really feel like they thought anything else. Like, you can kind of tell from the call transcript and everything else that they thought was she all very
1: assumptive. was drugged out
0: and walked into the basement and just passed out. So Do we
1: know if, sorry, and maybe you've said this, but, like, this hotel specifically, is it, like, right smack dab in the middle of an unfavorable area because our delta hotel here is a rather nice hotel so i'm just curious like the caliber of the hotel as well
0: um i think it's just like downtown because there's a big huge casino atta- attached to it okay so, so i don't know if it's, know if it's in like, a
1: casino i'm gonna assume they have like a pretty good reputation so they're trying to protect that okay i Who don't know. know two days it's later no cecil.
0: on it's no cecil <laughs> but you will find that this case has like remnants of that a lot Mm. not the creepy cecil vibe just like the whole thing is very reminds me of that but got no coverage like i'd never heard of this so oh
1: okay okay Two,
0: two days later january 12 2015 staff sergeant kelly trithart it's either trithart or trithart but i'm just gonna go with that of regina police services received a message to call the coroner because they had concerns about nadine's cause of death so the sergeant uh, sergeant Tra- Traithart, i'm just gonna call him that was the <laughs> i'm gonna start that again and just say he uh but now i don't know if it's a he or a she it's a kelly okay well why don't you say it like just use the letter t <laughs> sergeant t was the lead investigator in the regina police services major crimes unit at the time Nadine's preliminary cause of death was listed as a drug overdose with no suspicious or criminal element by the Provincial Coroner's Office. But the hospital pathologist, Dr. Cabagon, at Pasca Hospital, found that Nadine had sustained fractured ribs, bruises to her arms and back, black circles under her eyes, and blood on her nose, like, to name a few injuries.
1: And this was from an accidental, like, I overdosed and fell, kind of, and it was just scenario. assumed
0: that she just overdosed and passed out.
1: So what they're saying, all of that happened just like bouncing around in ten stories of laundry no, chute.
0: No, they, no, no, no. The preliminary cause of death doesn't even acknowledge that she could have fallen down the chute. The preliminary Ooh. cause of death is drug overdose with no suspicious or criminal element. So this oh, is okay, just I based heard on. That. I
1: just still thought that the shoot no. knowing that's exactly where she was found was still a No.
0: They literally just assumed that she <laughs> walked into the basement drugged out, passed out and they listed her cause of death as an overdose.
1: Oh, so this okay. is when
0: this is when 2 fucking days later, sorry for my language, the language hospital pathologist the <laughs> hospital pathologist. So this is when 2 days later the hospital pathologist calls the sergeants and tells them she has all these injuries and says these injuries were consistent with blunt force trauma from a fall and that the rib fractures were not consistent with that which you would get from CPR.
1: Yeah, because like they're probably out on like the outer side of her ribs, whereas a lot of the what happens with CPR is near like the sternum and the center of the chest from the actual mm-hmm. pressure of the compressions. Yeah. Okay. Suspish.
0: Yeah, so at this point, he basically says, like, she did not just pass out. She fell 10 floors down a laundry chute in a random hotel.
1: Okay. Okay. I mean, sadly enough, we are not unused to hearing police just wanting to close a case when it's a person of color, an indigenous person oh well we know this happens so let's keep
0: can... going shall we oh shit okay so of course these injuries impact the primary cause of death the pathologist notifies the coroner who notified the police of the potential need to investigate so they figure there may be something more to this than just somebody who overdosed and passed out as i just mentioned This Mm -hmm. is the first time the police become involved in Nadine's death. And this is 60 hours after she was found. Yeah. So because of the amount of time that it took to actually call the police, it would become almost impossible to collect any credible evidence about like from the scene that she was at. Police do ask. They do ask the hotel for surveillance video at this time, but it doesn't really seem like they do anything with it and we're gonna get there but i mean they're yeah
1: okay yeah
0: so forensic patho- pathologist sean ladham is called in and a full ops autopsy was done wow i can't speak today uh hey, you're
1: having a really tough time with pathologist talk let me try again okay
0: Forensic pathologist Sean Ladham was called in and a full autopsy was done on January fifteenth, twenty fifteen, which would have been five days after she died. He concluded at that time that the blunt force trauma was consistent with falling from the tenth floor of the hotel down the laundry chute, as we mentioned. Um okay. they figure out that the laundry chute was accessible from a locked service room on the tenth floor. Inside of the service room, the laundry chute was covered by um, a hatch that you would have to open up, and the chute was about 50 inches wide and tall.
1: That seems like very specifically you would need to know it's there to go find it and go down it. It just doesn't seem like... You said it was behind a locked door.
0: Yeah, but we do figure out later that the lock, the door latch wasn't working. We'll get there, but... They do figure out later that the door, like, wouldn't latch properly, so it would have kind of been open. Um, So we'll we'll just keep going. Regina police arrive at the autopsy. They're given samples for toxicology. There's two officers. These samples are placed in storage for six months and not tested until the chief coroner called to follow up on the results. And the officers both admit here that they thought the other one sent the samples for testing course they did yeah so they're just not sent until somebody calls being like uh, "the like the fam there's articles like the family was frustrated looking for answers why is this toxicology taking right, so, so, long? so and they just hadn't been sent so these samples are finally sent on July the 16th 2015 uh, which again would cause a significant delay of, in any form of investigation
1: yeah this is so frustrating and yes Cecil vibes. Cecil yes. investigation vibes.
0: And just like kind of eerie vibes. situation. Just creepy hotel vibes. Creepy hotel. Like the whole like, you know, fallen into
1: something. There's there a was
0: hatch. a latch covering, a hatch. Exactly. It's like just very,
1: it gave me. Again, like one of those things like, yeah, we now know that oddly enough, it could have been done by herself. But what is the likelihood?
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Toxicology comes back and toxicologist Chris Ketty is assigned to the file on October 10th, 2015. Okay. On November 9th, he releases his initial report, which revealed that Nadine was severely intoxicated due to a cocktail of drugs in her system. In her system, most notably with significantly elevated levels of methadone, as well as ibupropion, which is an antidepressant, and zopoclon, which is a sedative. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, so this is when pathologist Sean Ladham concludes that the manner of death should be listed as undetermined as he felt it was unlikely that she would have been able to climb into the chute on her own at that level with of intoxication. Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, I agree. That makes sense.
0: A second opinion is offered by Graham Jones, who was the chief toxicologist with the Office of the Medical Examiner in Alberta, a province over. who casts doubt on Ladham's findings that the cause should be undetermined. And the main discrepancy here is that Jones could not be confident that Nadine was unable to get in the shoot on her own based solely on toxicology. And this is because he said, um, like, her known drug habit and known use of those drugs, which would have made her tolerance higher than the average person.
1: I mean, I wondered that, but I mean, the fact that her toxicology report was so accurate and high and showing such consistent levels of three different drugs, Mm -hmm. I mean, I lean more towards the first guy personally, but I totally understand that her tolerance has to be taken into account and just metabolizing drugs. Yeah.
0: So the chief coroner ends up issuing the final report calling her death accidental. (laughs) the final amended report also does not contain pathologist ladham's original opinion that the cause of death should be undetermined nor does it explain why it rep- is, was replaced it's just not even there
1: which is <laughs> they were just really like, well, unheard just pretend of that didn't happen
0: to have two conflicting experts and just have one like barrel over top of the other one and not even consider
1: yeah or mention No, it. you're right that is yeah you're right because usually, yeah. like, I mean, that's the whole point of these investigations and having two opinions is so you have mm-hmm. two to compare
0: mm-hmm.
1: or validate one another or contradict. That's exactly why you do it. So, yeah, yeah, where is the other report and why was it not included in this? That's bullshit. It was just
0: amended, taken out, and how the convenient. final report is issued as accidental. So yeah, yeah, how did Nadine end up at the Delta Hotel at 4 a.m. in the first place?
1: Do we have CCTV?
0: We have pretty crappy cctv we have like
1: i love cctv uh,
0: yeah we have like really grainy horrible cctv um so nadine was seen on january 9th 2015 at around 4 p.m and in a distressed state possibly bloodied a woman had given her a ride home to to a home sorry on elephant stone street Uh, she didn't know her but she wanted to help her she said that nadine seemed cold crying and in distress and had dried blood and bruising on her face um so nadine's boyfriend was being housed at regina correctional center around the same time and she actually called her boyfriend at around the same time that she would have been dropped off at this house and Mm -hmm. he said that she felt that he felt that she was out of it Um, A text on her phone does confirm her being at Elephant Stone Street. Okay. Her player card was activated at 2.09 a.m. at Casino Regina, which is attached to the hotel, like I mentioned, and her next documented movements are on Delta Hotel cameras at 3.17 a.m. when she enters the hotel elevator with two men who had entered the hotel um at around the same time so all three of them get in the elevator together but it's not actually known whether they were together or not
1: i mean fair enough that's a tough one to tell from just shitty cctv footage in a small clip
0: yeah so at three forty-five a.m the fire alarm sounded um at around the same time a man mm-hmm. no, i'll do that again <laughs> At around the same time, a man called the front desk to report report a suspicious female knocking on doors and warning of a fire on the 10th floor. There's only mention of a suspicious female at the time of this call, um, which is kind of important. It's suspected that Nadine is the woman who is running around the 10th floor yelling about an emergency of some sort, banging on doors, this guy's door anyway and that okay. she is the one who pulled the alarm.
1: Okay, 3... I mean, I I could see why they maybe thought that. Yeah. It's all suspicious activity. Fair.
0: Yeah. So at 3.51 a.m., fire crews arrive due to the fire alarm being pulled, and they leave within 10 minutes because there's no sign of a fire or an emergency. At the same time this occurred, Nadine's Aunt Dolores said that Nadine attempted to call her landline phone four times. So that's 3.51 oh. a.m., to four up uh, about four AM. She's found okay. at four eleven AM. So eleven minutes later at the bottom of the shoot.
1: Okay. That almost sounds like she's just calling the last person she called or whoever she can in her phone and just trying mm-hmm. to get someone on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. Okay.
0: So it's all that whole thing is super strange to me. Um there was yeah. only one guest staying on the tenth floor that night. One. And that's the guy who called the lobby or called down to the hotel lobby to say there was a female knocking on his door okay this is a business traveler from Kansas City his name is William Creedon and he was staying in room 1008 so for reference room 1008 is near really close to the service room that housed the laundry chute and the fire alarm pull station is adjacent to that same service room
1: oh so it was like right outside where he's staying all this happened yes Okay, weird, but okay. William
0: says he was awoken early by an alarm and a woman banging on his door at 3.45 a.m. As I just mentioned, William states that he peeked out the door and saw a frantic woman with dark hair yelling that the hotel was on fire. So it's important to note that William was not actually interviewed by police until a year after this happened on February 5th, 2016 at which point he says there was two children peering from behind her. He says oh, they were not, wonderful. not teenagers or toddlers and that they were somewhere in between, but there was no mention of children at the time of the initial call to the hotel front desk that we know of. So this ended up casting doubt on his testimony. And also those two parent children have never been located or identified. And no one else has ever
1: mentioned them. Nope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy hotel kid ghosts.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, I never even thought of that. Ew, I hate that. Okay, so let's go back to the investigation a little bit. I know this is kind of all over the map, but there's a lot of information and I'm just trying to give it all. (laughs) So... Like we already talked about, the police were not called to investigate Nadine's death as a crime until 60 hours after she was found at the bottom of the chute. So this means there was a lot of loose ends and missing pieces in this investigation. Um, not just because of that. Honestly, this investigation was horrible. Uh, but we're going to get to that. I'm not Lovely. even going to hold back on that. This was terrible. Okay. because Because it was assumed from the get-go yes. that she overdosed on drugs and as much as the police will go on to say that they don't look at a person's skin tone or lifestyle when they investigate crimes maybe it didn't do it intentionally but like this has assumption written all over it
1: racial (laughs) profiling yeah
0: so but i will say that yes it wasn't helpful that it took you know two days for them to be called
1: well no like you said the purely the compromised evidence alone yeah totally shitty
0: yeah so by the time they were notified and arrived at the hotel the scene where she had actually been found like at the bottom of the chute had been cleaned by the hotel hotel
1: staff all of it was and probably other laundry put down it by then yeah oh yeah yeah
0: she also had a number of personal items on her when she was found some of them made it to the hospital with her but her shoes and her purse were left at at the scene and they were thrown away in the garbage by hotel staff when they were when they cleaned not even the
1: lost and found
0: they were thrown away into the garbage yes Yeah. mm -hmm. So there also just seemed to be a kind of lack of urgency in this initial investigation. Like I said, you don't say. Yeah. mm -hmm. I don't think I have to go into why. But another example, Casino Regina wasn't contacted for surveillance until January 23rd, 2015, at which point they learned it was subject to a 10 day purge period and was no longer available. So they would not have been able to pull any video of, like, if she had been, say, with those two men that she was seen getting in the elevator with, were they seen together at the casino? That would have been helpful to know. Of course. That makes perfect sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Among a myriad of other reasons, but like that one rings true to me. So room 1008 where Mr. Creedon had been staying had actually not been cleaned yet when the police arrived, which was great. Um, So it was processed and led to the discovery of several items of unknown but potential significance to the investigation. They discovered black hair fibers and they did discover a feminine hygiene wrapper Um, And it was unknown where they came from, but they placed them into evidence bags, of course, to be tested. Finally. Yeah, those items did eventually come back as unrelated to Nadine, um, but thankful that they tested them. The police also confirmed during their initial investigation in January 2015 I kind of mentioned this earlier, but the hydraulic assembly on the service room door on the 10th floor was malfunctioning and incapable of closing mm-hmm. the door completely after its release. So they did confirm this.
1: Like the elevator um, door at the Cecil and the hatch door on the seriously. Cecil?
0: Seriously. Yeah, the hatch door that was left wide so open. So
1: creepy. I know. I fr- told at first, you. they're like, no, no, no. It's always locked. It's always locked. It's like, did anybody just ask the person who knew about it and would know? Yeah. No, I I
0: told you this has like Elisa Lam Cecil vibes written all over it. Uh. So this meant there was unrestricted access to the laundry room and the chute. So it wasn't locked and only available to hotel employees like they originally said, because it wasn't working. The police did eventually get hotel surveillance footage, like I mentioned, Um, but, but, but y'all, it wasn't reviewed. It was reviewed by two additional major crimes officers in January 2016, a year after her death when the investigation switched hands to new officers.
1: And hold up. That's when it was reviewed. When did they get this footage? Um, at, At the onset. They
0: asked for it right away. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So it's reviewed and this is when they spot the video of the two men. So, like, none of this actually happens until a year later. Great. Yeah, that they talked to, like, a witness. They're looking at surveillance tapes. Because, like, obviously they were asking for tapes in January 2015 because they asked Cena Regina on January 23rd, 2015. So, like, you just didn't care.
1: Yeah, it's like you did it for show.
0: You didn't care. I don't care what anyone says. Like, if you ask for the tapes... In, if, even if review you review them, if you reviewed them and you didn't like put it out to the public or or like anything, you didn't consider these two men as like potentially related to this. You obviously didn't because you really you you. Anyways, mm. uh.
1: at least scan the ten minutes that you know she's in the video and where she is, yeah. and get a general consensus or feeling yeah. at least. Don't yeah. just not look at them.
0: I feel like I'm getting heated, but I have literally been researching this for like two weeks straight because there's so much and it's I'm stress so, eating Smarties. I like, right? It's, it's crazy. Hey friends, just a quick reminder. If you like hanging out and you want to see more of us, please visit our social media platforms. You can find us at Podcast by Proxy on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have a business a story that you want featured on our show, we would love to hear it. Email us at podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support the show even more, please don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time and money into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing right now. To donate to the podcast one time or on a monthly basis, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash podcast by proxy. Now let's get back to it. There were seven cameras in the hotel, but there were none in the hallways and none in the elevators. The cameras were glitchy and some of them were on motion sensors, meaning that you wouldn't even really see the person until they were out of frame because like... The motion turns the camera the on. People yeah. do walk like turtles, so like there, you can't even really see people in them. The camera facing the main entrance also was just not working, so you wouldn't have any idea of like coming and going. Classic. And, but like I said, police believe that the one camera from the lobby shows her getting on an elevator um, after two unidentified men had already gotten on. Okay. So this y- whole year later, the police finally issue a public appeal for the two men in the surveillance video, um, but they have never, like, either publicly identified them or identified them that we know of. They've never interviewed them. Okay. Yeah. So this this is also uh, over a year later when they... It's, these, it's like when the investigation changes hands is kind of seems like when stuff sort of actually starts to get done. We see this a lot, though. Yeah, so this is when they ask, finally ask for a hotel guest list. They didn't even ask for a hotel guest list at the very beginning.
1: You'd think that would be, like, literally step number one. You'd think. Yep. Okay. So,
0: because it took so long to ask for the hotel guest list, the... The list that they were given was incomplete. Like, half of the names had been purged because of a change in ownership since the previous year. Oh, for fuck fuck's sake. They purged. Sakes. So the only people that would have been on that list still would have been people that, like, continued to stay at the hotel. Yes, since yeah. the, t- the ownership like changed. recurring customers. So, like, half of them were gone.
1: Oh, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, when he's finally interviewed via tape in kansas city in february 2016 mr creeden denied allowing any females into his room that night like i mentioned the hair fibers were tested and compared against nadine's they were found to not be a match mr creeden would have been considered the last person to talk to or see nadine alive because she would have spoken to him after the two men in the elevator and around the same time the alarm went off
1: like i mentioned already the elevator up there
0: Correct. So, like I mentioned already, the two men and the two children have never been identified. Um, meaning, Mr. Mr. Creighton's the only person who we know had contact with her before she ended up at the bottom of the chute. Um, and we also know she obviously tried to call her aunt right before she was found. The final report that called her death accidental, like we already spoke about, was issued in April of 2016. Saskatchewan Chief Coroner Kent Stewart ruled official cause of death as blunt force trauma consistent with a fall combined with drug toxicity as a contributing factor, making the death accidental. This report was made public in May of 2016, and the Regina Police Service closed the case in June of 2016. Now, keep in mind, the family had actually so been given.
1: Not they really exploded. solved, but they nope. solved it. Yep. Okay. They Great. Good, good work, guys. Yeah, and so the
0: family had actually been given the original, quote, working document, as they called it, that noted mm-hmm. her cause of death as undetermined. So they had mm-hmm. that original document. And then, so, so calling it accidental and then just closing the case was shocking to them.
1: Uh, Yeah, because that yeah. doesn't give them any more insight or actually change anything. Nope.
0: And not to mention, they admit that there's like definitely questions like the the coroners and stuff sorry like they all admit that there's definitely questions and gaps they're just like mm,
1: accidental Closed they're essentially it. saying we really don't have enough information to answer this question like she probably just fell our best guess is and but that's not that's, that's not acceptable It's bare minimum
0: it's not acceptable we expect people to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in court. So I feel like if you're going to call somebody's death that has so many holes in it accidental, you should be able to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt of some form. Agreed. Yeah. So June 29th, 2016, after the case had been determined closed birthday. by the Regina Police Service, oh my gosh, it's a birthday. And that's it's my boyfriend's a b- 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 birthday.
1: birthday.
0: It, wait, no. My boyfriend's birthday is the next day. Whose birthday is the 29th? My mom's. Okay. So, Brandon's is the 30th.
1: He's a cancer?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> that little acknowledgement. Keep that in mind. Yeah. my uh libra gemini ass has to be really um sensitive a little bit more so with the cancer because are you on a cusp no i'm a libra sun gemini moon libra rising so i'm a double libra with a gemini moon so i can i don't know did i
1: tell you i'm a triple aquarius oh my god no that's so cool then rare i feel like um I don't know if it actually means anything, so anyone out there who knows about that stuff, hit me up.
0: Yeah. Definitely. We don't know a lot about that. Back to the case. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Back to it we
0: go. Do we have to? It's so frustrating. She deserves it. She really does. June 29, 2016, after her case had been determined closed by Regina Police Service, Nadine's cousin, Dolores Stevenson, attended the monthly meeting of the Board of Police Commissioners to express her frustration at how the case was handled. The biggest question for the family is how Nadine fit through the chute door on her own and why and how it took 60 hours for the police to get involved. The public... The Public Complaints Commission got involved at this point as well as the Saskatchewan Attorney General and Justice Minister Gordon Wyatt, who called for a full inquest into Nadine's death. Good. Gord Wyatt is reported saying, quote, I am concerned that the confidence in the coroner's office and the confidence in the administration of justice has been put into question. You think? Her family acknowledged, (laughs) literally, Her family acknowledges that Nadine struggled with addiction and worked in the sex trade but felt her death still raises suspicions for them and wanted answers as to why the case was handled so poorly to begin with. Regardless if the conclusion was that it was an accident or not, she's a human being and deserves a just investigation just like anyone else. And they did not feel this had been done. Which, agreed.
1: A thousand percent agreed. Uh, Sex work should be legalized. Everyone who takes part in it should still be protected and have rights.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We're like, it just, I feel, actually, it's not like it gets worse. It just gets very, um, we're getting into the part where we're going to go through the inquest. Um, We're going to go through a bunch of stuff. So, March 2017, a six-person jury listened to four days of evidence, including testimony by forensic pathologist Sean Ladham. He concluded that Nadine had to have gone in the chute either feet first or head first while on her back.
1: Okay, wait, hold on. (laughs) But that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how you determined that. I understand head first on your back. That's like she fell in backwards. Yeah. So maybe, like, there was damage to the neck. I could maybe understand that one. Sure. But feet first backwards
0: especially since there were no injuries to the lower half of her body None.
1: yeah like if she went feet first you'd think she'd have broken ankles heels legs hips any of those you'd think
0: yes so after listening to all the evidence the jury determined that the medical cause and manner of death should be listed as undetermined not accidental they're basically just like no
1: ma'am sorry so they just went back to the original cause of death the jury did
0: yes the jury said it should be listed as undetermined not accidental good good on them yeah so after this verdict is returned a lawyer for the family noah evanchuk said quote i think we would have had answers to this case if miss machiskanik had not been treated as a high risk Poor indigenous sex trade worker and rather as any other human being who suffered a strange death. Preach. Nadine's aunt Dolores at this point said that she hoped the case would be reopened. The jury also offered one recommendation. I'm sorry for giggling, but this is just funny to me. That all hotels should ensure service chutes are locked and inaccessible to the public.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Just to like put the knife in and twist it a little. They're like, and by the by. <laughs> You know, while we're, way, we're while we're doing the coroner and medical examiner's job, maybe we'll do the hotel security's job too. Yeah.
0: Bye By the way, the way, while you're here, maybe you should fix your shit. So for yeah, Nadine's family, get a family- fucking padlock. <laughs> Check on it every once in a while. For Nadine's family, this inquest provided more questions than it did answers, but confirmed to them that there was more to her death and that the police should have handled her investigation with more care. And I think that's the biggest thing for the family and for me personally, after researching this for a million hours, is... Maybe something did happen and she got scared or she accidentally climbed in it and fell. Like, maybe it was an accident. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but a big reason why none of us have any of the answers is because the investigation was so botched.
1: Yeah, the work was, when it was done, it was so late in the game. And when it was done, it wasn't taken seriously. Nobody really wanted to get answers. No, it they just did the bare minimum so they could say they took care of it.
0: In that first year, nobody cared. No. That's that's it. So Chief Evan Bray of the Regina Police Service made a statement a few days later after the inquest wrapped up saying that despite the errors and challenges in the case, he and his officers believed that their investigation would have still reached the same conclusion that no one else was involved in Machiskinick's death. He also stated that the investigation was not hindered by who Nadine was and her lifestyle choices. He is quoted saying the Regina Police Service will not ever conduct an investigation based on an interpretation of a person's lifestyle, race, (laughs) gender, bias like that won't find itself into an investigation. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Who are you trying to convince your buddy, your own team? Himself. Because the public does not believe anything you are saying.
0: And again, um, I, I will say to that, maybe not intentionally. Yeah. But I don't think that you can say that there was no unconscious bias.
1: No way you can. That
0: played a role in how this was handled if from that the moment been... she was
1: found a 29 year old white girl you know they would have been there faster Mm -hmm. no offense not to put it so grossly bluntly but we all know it's true and we need to just start owning it and saying it i know that if i was to call the police i would probably get help faster than a person of color and that is pathetic and disgusting
0: don't even say no offense offense to the police though
1: well yeah true
0: offense to you Anyway, sorry, I'm getting heated again. <laughs> Fuck.
1: It's warranted.
0: Okay, so I, again, about this statement that I just said, um, about what Chief Evan Bray said, sorry, it's important to note that after the statement was released, Nadine's Aunt Dolores said that she didn't know what to make of the news statement and that she wished Chief Bray, Chief Bray had spoken with a member of their family before speaking with the media.
1: He didn't According even to talk
0: to them. He didn't even speak to the damn family before he went on the news and said this. Piece of shit. And like they're also very disappointed with the communication with their family. It just like has not been there. Which we do hear a lot. And of course it does happen in investigations where the police just can't tell the family as much as maybe they would like to know. But like I truly believe in this case they again just didn't care. Or, like, no, I agree didn't too. go out of their way to make sure that the family was communicated with prior to no, media agree, statements 100%. and things like that. So, okay. So that same year in 2017, Chief Bray requested a review of the investigation be done and carried out by Saskatchewan RCMP in 2019 the findings of that review were released to the public um it's a bit redacted but not too badly there's like some names and some things blocked out but like you can get through pretty much all of it you get the gist i read the i read the whole 22 page review um this this external review revealed that the investigation did not meet professional standards Shocker. Which I don't think any of us are shocked about. Um, The (laughs) review also laid out 14 recommendations to the Regina Police Service for future investigations to avoid similar errors. So here's how you could do your job better, guys. Essentially, yes. I'm going to go over these um, 14 recommendations. And I'm also going to, like, kind of explain where they came from. So in Canada, there are nine main principles of police major case management these nine principles are considered to be standard for investigating a major crime across canada no matter what department you work for the review was specifically to consider best practices and the application of the universally accepted principles of case management so the nine principles are the command triangle communication leadership and team building managerial considerations Crime solving strategies Ethical considerations Accountability mechanisms Legal considerations And partnerships And I missed crime solving strategies Which was in there somewhere Before ethical considerations Okay So we're going to go through these point by point With respect to the investigation into the death of needy Number one is the command triangle The command triangle is at the core Of major case management It's uh, comprised of the Team Commander at the top of the triangle, and then at the bottom two corners of the triangle will be the Primary Investigator and the File Coordinator. So the team, com- the team Commander specifically is responsible for managing the overall investigation. This person should have a pulse on what's going on with pretty much everyone at any point during the investigation. The Primary Investigator is responsible for managing the speed, flow, and direction of the investigation. And the file coordinator is responsible for managing the investigative work product and disclosure. Good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The command triangle really drives the investigation. Um, And the external review of the investigation into Nadine's death showed that there was no evidence to support that a command triangle was established or even considered.
1: I was wondering who was responsible for all these.
0: Yeah. So recommendation one. Of the review um, is that practical and formal training opportunities are uh, given to develop team commanders. Recommendation two apply the command triangle and assign permanent people in the detachment to the roles of the uh, team commander, primary investigator, and file coordinator. Recommendation three apply a collaborative team effort in the early stages of an investigation. Which, like, honestly seems obvious, but apparently it wasn't. Okay. So, uh, case management. With respect to case management, there was no evidence in the review to support the use or consideration of any formal tasking or tracking mechanism in which to assign investigative tasks or monitor their completion. There was one exception to this noted. um, That was Detective Sergeant Criddle, whose efforts to obtain call records were reported and dated. So, recommendation four is apply formal tasking methodology to all major case investigations from the onset. Uh, also, with respect to case management, um, business rules and protocols were also recommended. So, recommendation five, um, at a very basic level, business rules and protocols would clarify protocols for the creation and submission of tasks reviewing, vetting, naming conventions, deciding what's going to be holdback back evidence, etc. Um, it would also ensure that everyone's on the same page um, and things like toxicology samples don't get forgotten because it would be obvious whose job that is. Uh, business protocols should also be created and implemented at the onset of the investigation and define specific expectations such as direction to all investigators to utilize audio and video in interrogations. Um, that was the example that the report used. And there's no evidence that business rules were established in the investigation into Nadine's death.
1: Well, clearly, I mean, we could tell that. Yeah, okay. None so of that these was, things were done.
0: That was just case management principle number one. Um, and we already have uh, five recommendations. <laughs> so communication is the second one. The review found that there was no evidence of investigational briefings, no documentation in support of how the investigation was going to be approached on January 12, 2015, or a developing or investigative theory at the onset. Recommendation six of the report was to apply regular and formal investigative briefings as a means to drive investigations of significance and leverage the collective knowledge and skills of a team. Basically, once again, to keep everyone on the same page and encourage cooperative efforts. The recommendation also included to maintain a written record of these briefings. Recommendation 7 advises to apply a decision log to record significant decisions and include rationale that influence the decision. it it concluded that poor communication existed between the major crime and forensic identification investigators and this was one of the most significant detriments to the investigation Um, again the toxicology and like samples just not getting tested
1: like yeah it's ridiculous like why take them why did why did you ask for them why did you ask for the footage from the cameras if you weren't going to look through it Why? like you know there's just so many whys yeah
0: Well, and again, like this report is saying, I mean, this is all very, like, I feel like it's very jargony because a lot of it is straight from the report, um, like the recommendations Mm -hmm. and things like that. But um, at its very core, it's saying that if you had like a formal plan, a tracking method, a better communication um, and cooperation, like there would be no,
1: oh, I thought he sent them. Well, I
0: thought he sent them. Exactly. Yeah. So pillar number three is leadership and team building. The reviewers recognized significant efforts applied by each pair of investigators. There was no clear evidence to demonstrate any individual assumed a leadership role or um, command triangle. However, no (laughs) no recommendations were made with respect to this category. So number four is managerial considerations. There was no documentation found to clarify the role management played or their level of influence. No managerial engagement, review, or oversight of the investigation outside of travel approval that occurred late in the investigation. Um, this is when a, the second set of investigators actually traveled outside of province to meet what they thought might be those two men.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so the that the would be their
0: guys. The, the, yeah, it, they weren't. Okay. It didn't pan out, didn't like end up being oh. anything that they know of, but um, this is okay. like really the only time management was involved. So recommendation eight states, if not in place, establish formalized process to update senior management or um, of serious and or significant developments. So number five principle is crime solving strategies. Um... As you can maybe guess, there's a number of things outlined here. This is a large portion of this review, um, but I have listed a few below that I'll go over. Um, I'll have the link listed below in the show notes. If you want to read the 22-page review yourself, you absolutely can, but I'll just go over a few of these. So, With respect to medical facilities, there was no record that a copy of medical records were requested or provided by the coroner recommendation nine states obtain copies of all medical records related to the treatment provided to nadine by ems um rgh which is i believe is regina general hospital and uh, Mm -hmm. pascal hospital pursuant to the coroner's act so with respect to the delta hotel yeah you would think respect uh, with respect to the delta hotel and crime solving strategies the review suggests that greater efforts <laughs> should have been taken to prevent access to the service room or room 1008 to collect evidence and preserve the crime scene it mm-hmm. also s- discusses the lost evidence based on the delay in asking for a hotel guest list until a year
1: after yeah and
0: <laughs> recommendation 10 states uh, deploy necessary support services at the earliest opportunity to process a potential crime scene if the required resources are not available consider deploying a guard to maintain the integrity of the scene
1: yep doesn't seem that Uh, hard
0: yeah so with respect to the forensic identification unit recommendation 11 boop is to consider the delegation of a dedicated crime scene manager as part of the investigative team to ensure every possible avenue is considered and exhausted with respect to the evidence collection and process. The reviewers believed that the frame of the chute and the surrounding wall-like area, as well as the Mm -hmm. lever of the fire alarm pole station, were at least worthy of an attempt to dust for prints. Totally.
1: So they didn't even try. They were in, like, a small radius of each other. Why would you not? They were like, oh, it's cleaned up. Not going to be anything. Oh, my gosh.
0: So, like, none of that Lazy. stuff. The service room, the, um, like, the laundry chute opening, the fire alarm pull station, they were not dusted for prints. But there is evidence that photographs of both the scenes were taken as well as, um, so, like, photographs of the service room, the laundry chute opening, like, they did take pictures
1: but, like... I don't know. It's, like, the things they took pictures of are helpful, but not that helpful without other proof, like the or fingerprints or like, without or something. doing
0: anything with the pictures. But then
1: the things where they should have taken fingerprints or DNA or something else, they just didn't do it. So it's, like, where is the line? What are you guys willing to do?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, because they did take all the evidence from room 1008, so it's, like, you think they would have yeah. maybe dusted, like, the... Fire if you're right there for prints to see who pulled it um and maybe not assume that it was her i don't know yeah. so recommendation 12 says consider the use of a crime analyst to support the investigative team to manage background queries and collate evidence recommendation 13 says retain all pertinent email correspondence that is not transitory in nature with respect to witness interviews no witness interviews were transcribed and both reviewers believed this would have benefited the investigation, especially during the transition from one team to another.
1: Fair. Yeah. When you're passing a case on, yeah. it would be beneficial to have every piece of evidence.
0: Yeah. So, that, like, I guess they had email correspondence and stuff with like witnesses and stuff, and it was just deleted. <laughs> it was not retained.
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah, so, moving on. Uh, So, principle number six, ethical considerations. The review found no suggestion of ethical breach or dilemma. Number seven, accountability mechanisms. Um, The application of a command triangle and an improved case management system could have avoided pitfalls and promoted more timely collection of evidence to the benefit of the investigation and stakeholders. Many necessary investigative steps were identified, some not actioned in a timely manner, and a slight few not at all. The most apparent oversight, as far as the reviewers were concerned, was the absence of a formalized tasking and tracking mechanism.
1: Or any plan at all, whatsoever. Really.
0: Um, okay. So, number eight, legal considerations. I didn't like go too in depth with these because they're mostly just very jargony, um, and there's not much to them. So, again, you can read the review yourself if you want. Um, okay. But this one i just have here the investigation was managed pursuant to provincial legislation and provisions outlined in the coroner's act of 1999. Um, they did not require a warrant to search uh room 1008 but the review did identify the need for a decision log so basically all this is saying is that the investigation was conducted legally and um the the stuff they did do was done properly records weren't kept afterwards they just did okay yes yeah um this one here, uh, last one, number nine, is partnerships. Um, and it just recognized that the most important partnership here was with the local coroner and the office of the chief coroner. There is a recommendation number 19 to create a specific task and document contact with essential partners during the course of an investigation. Um, so I think they just had no documentation of their communications with coroners with the uh, forensic identification unit there's uh, most of this section is just like yes you communicated with the partners that you needed to communicate with but you didn't record any of it and yeah so this also states that initial delays and investigative steps at uh, the onset were consistent with regular time off entitlements and it was not clear if ot was available the review is signed by Superintendent Derek Williams, Staff Sergeant Brent Olberg, and Corporal Evan Anderson. Um, yeah. Okay. That's pretty much it.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And wow, they dropped the ball.
0: But yeah, that's about it. I'm just looking to see if there's anything else with regards to partnerships. I feel like I didn't put that much in there, but I
1: don't yeah, really just said, it much just, more, though. It's pretty it, basic.
0: It literally just says the reviewers recognize the existence of two essential partnerships with, with the Regina Police Service, and then, like I said, it would be the, the local coroner and the officer so, yeah. of, the, of the chief coroner. Yeah, and um. Basically just said, like, the, the communication between them obviously caused the cause of death initially to change, to be reconsidered. Um, and so there was obviously that partnership. And then they do talk a little bit about the partnership between the Machiskanik family and the police. Um, oh. And, okay. I mean... That's what it is. They, they, they say that the partnership has produced information valuable to investigators... Mm-hmm. But they also go on to say that the partnership, you know, though somewhat strained, remains of great importance to both parties. So they're acknowledging uh, that it's maybe not the most amazing partnership all the time, but It'll that be the it strongest does exist bond. and that it is important.
1: Yeah, yeah that,
0: that's essentially uh, that's the review. Um, and that's the case, really. I mean, that's where we're at. That's pretty bonkers. I have yeah. never heard of this. I feel like I hope I did Nadine some form of justice in getting this story out there and having people know about it because um, I think you it's did. important. And the police service like hella dropped the ball in caring oh, yeah. about her from the beginning. And like honestly, we yeah. all did because it, it started from from when she was found by people at the hotel. I mean, it's all of our responsibility to treat the everybody the same, mistress. not not just the police.
1: No. Everyone should have taken more care. This is a human life we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I just, I honestly, once I read a small little blurb, um, I found this, I believe, through missingcanada.ca. Though she's not missing, it's um, very unsolved in a lot of people's minds. Mm -hmm. So I just happened to stumble upon it there, and uh, I couldn't stop once I started. So this is why I bring this to you today.
1: I love it. I think you did a wonderful job. You definitely did her justice um no I think it was great but I yeah, loved it so. in a bad way in a bad way exactly yes
0: but that's it for um, me for today I feel like that was a lot and it was kind of heavy so probably just let everybody go and have a there happy you... day yeah. yeah go have a cookie
1: do it you deserve it I don't know why I'm always peer pressuring people in this podcast to eat cookies but I eat cookies all the time with no peer pressure
0: just if anyone's wondering, my personal favorite are the fruit creams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're so good. Without a doubt. I have, like, a wild obsession with those. I'm actually going Pink right now. Fruit creams in for... general,
1: the brand. Totally...
0: I found a lady in Nanaimo who makes, like, homemade spool tables.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm going to pick one up right now. It's, like, all black, homemade. Like, she stained it black, and it's got these, my like, really cute one. little... I'm so excited because I wanted a round coffee table so we're going to
1: get it so exciting go get it right yeah. now so you can send me a picture I'm doing it I can't wait to see it okay I'm gonna go check on my cat because he's not feeling well and eat some dinner I'll call you soon. Okay. <gasps> okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>